0: Hello, and welcome to Out West, the official podcast of the Western Governors Association, a bipartisan organization representing the governors of the 22 westernmost states and territories. I'm Jim Augsbury, Executive Director of WGA. This episode is the fourth in a series regarding Idaho Governor Brad Little's WGA chair initiative, Working Lands, Working Communities. Governor Little's initiative is examining the interdependent relationships between Western communities and resource management entities, as well as the role that local communities play in successful land planning and management processes. In this episode, Kevin Moss, a WGA policy advisor, sits down with Kate Greenberg, the Colorado Commissioner of Agriculture, and Sarah Wenzel Fisher, the executive director of the Kivera Coalition, a nonprofit organization based in Santa Fe, New Mexico, It is dedicated to building economic and ecological resilience of Western working landscapes. Their conversation addresses the changing demographics of the region's agricultural workforce, as well as strategies for attracting young people to the industry and providing them with the skills necessary to succeed. Welcome to Out
1: West. My name is Kevin Moss. I'm a policy advisor for the Western Governors Association, and today's episode is going to look at agricultural and workforce topics in the West. I'm excited to welcome Kate Greenberg, who is Commissioner of Agriculture for the state of Colorado, and also Sarah Wenzel-Fisher, who is Executive Director of the Kibera Coalition. Thanks for joining us today. Sarah, to get the conversation rolling, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, how you came to work in your current position, and also how you met Kate.
2: Thanks, Kevin. How I got here was a long and meandering path, sort of fueled by a deep passion for living in the West and rural places, agriculture, and community. I have a degree from the University of New Mexico in community and regional planning, and I'd say that my better articulated path sort of started there. My research was on the economic viability of small farms in the middle Rio Grande and really developed a passion about food systems. And that led me to about 17 different jobs here in New Mexico, working in agriculture and food systems. So land ran farmers markets. I worked at La Montanita Co-op, which is a natural food grocery store chain. I worked with the Rio Grande Agricultural Land Trust. And I worked with the National Young Farmers Coalition, which leads me to how did I meet Kate Greenberg? When I was working for Farmers Markets, I was attending the New Mexico Organic Farming Conference, which is a fantastic event. And there was this gal running a booth for the National Young Farmers Coalition, who was Kate Greenberg. And she came over and we started talking and discovered that we had a lot of common passions and she said, you know, we're looking for people to help us recruit young farmers here in New Mexico. And I said, you can sign me up. I'm happy to help with that. And I think it was two or three weeks later that I was then working for the National Young Farmers Coalition as an organizer in New Mexico. And that was the start of a a beautiful, long and deep friendship that I think is really fueled by those shared passions even today.
1: Kate, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and the work you're involved with at the National Young Farmers Coalition and what you're doing now as Commissioner of Agriculture for Colorado.
3: Well, let me start where Sarah left off, because Sarah mentioned she started working for the National Young Farmers Coalition as our New Mexico organizer. She didn't mention that within the span of maybe six weeks, launched a chapter in the middle Rio Grande and had about 200 guests show up at a farm, including a congresswoman at the time who is now New Mexico's governor. So that was, I guess, about a decade ago. We since, of course, have done a lot of those parties and events and policy work together. But my life before Young Farmers Coalition was field-based. I didn't think I was going to be getting into policy or politics. I thought I would just stay on farms and ranches and work outside and become a better field worker than than I am right now, spending a lot of time in offices. But I started farming when I moved out west and from Minnesota, both from the city, from Minneapolis and from rural Minnesota down in Mankato. Moved out west to eastern Washington, Walla Walla, went to school out there and began farming on seasonal jobs, both on the eastern side and the western side of the Cascades. Started moving around the west farming and also working for field programs, so I managed a program through Whitman College called Semester in the West. So I basically, you know, drove across the Intermountain West camping on public lands. Students take full course load in Western policy, writing, ecology, environmental science. And we work with farmers and ranchers to understand what they're up against, just like the students do with ecologists and writers and advocates and water managers. So it's a really comprehensive picture of how complex Western policymaking is in the Intermountain West. Eventually, I moved to Mexico and started working with the Sonoran Institute in the Colorado River Delta. Again, I was managing native tree greenhouses down there and working on a riparian restoration project, part of the larger project to connect the Colorado River back to the sea. But it gave me a perspective of the Colorado River system from the tail end of the system. Now I'm at the headwater state. It's a much different perspective when you're standing literally at that place in the river where the water goes underground. And you got 60, 70 miles left between there and, and the ocean. So that got me interested in Western water policy. And right around that time, as I was thinking about moving on from that job in Mexico, a friend called and said she was moving on from this new organization called the National Young Farmers Coalition. And would I consider applying as a Western regional organizer? And so I did, moved to Durango. And about seven years later is when I put my name in the hat to become Colorado Commissioner of Agriculture.
1: I want to transition a little bit to really the heart of this discussion, which is the workforce challenge within the agriculture sector. I think a lot of folks who listen to WJ's podcast, they've read articles about the aging out of the agricultural workforce or, you know, X percentage of agricultural workers are over the age of 60. So we'd just love to hear from both of you about what you think about that narrative and whether you think there are any layers of nuance that should be shared there. And maybe, Sarah, we can hear from you first on that front.
2: Yeah, what's what's happening with the shift in agriculture today in terms of succession is a big question. I'm sure that folks know the statistics, but I'm going to share them anyway. 100 years ago, 30 percent or more of our population, their primary profession was agriculture. Today, less than two percent of our population is farming or ranching as their primary profession. And of that less than two percent, about 80 percent is 60 years old or older. To me, those statistics are important because this really critical knowledge of land stewardship is endangered. It's at risk. And it's not just about who's going to produce our food in the future, but who's going to understand how a prairie ecology system works and how it should be grazed, or who's going to understand soil and a silvopasture system in the future. Because the folks who hold that knowledge today are becoming fewer and fewer, and they're getting older and older, and who's going to step in and take their place? So it's about jobs, of course, but it's about so much more than that. It's about healthy watersheds. It's about our climate. And to me, this issue of succession is really at the heart of it, because we can do everything (laughs) to empower farmers to embrace regenerative agriculture and engage in regional food systems. But if we don't have young people really empowered to enter those careers, then everybody loses. <laughs> More particular challenges are, one, we have a changing climate, so entering a career in agriculture is up against that piece. And we also have an economic reality where there's a ton of market consolidation in our food systems that presents some significant barriers for young folks entering agriculture. But then there's also a ton of opportunity there too. And I don't think that there's any more meaningful work to do than producing food for your community and stewarding land. So those are some of the things I, I think about with that question.
1: Absolutely. It's always described as a jobs problem or an economic challenge and not necessarily as a a knowledge or succession issue in that frame that you shared as well. So, Kate, I would just throw that question to you as well. We'd love to hear about what you're seeing in Colorado in terms of the aging out of farmers and also interest among young people.
3: Well, one way we think about this at the Department of Ag and how I think about this question of the next generation or future generations is, how can we help reduce the barriers to entry, no matter your starting place? So if you are a sixth generation rancher, or you're a member of a tribe who's been here for centuries, or you're a first generation American looking to start a business, how can we make it so that if you want to build a life and career in agriculture, the barriers to doing that are reduced, and the access to services and support are increased? From a Broader vantage point, we are seeing job growth in agriculture overall in Colorado. Jobs related to crop and livestock production, as well as farm services, grew by 8% between 2016 and 2020. We've seen an increase in H-2A workers coming here to Colorado, actually an increase about 26% over the course of four years. So we're seeing that growth. Those are just a few examples. But we are facing a lot of similar challenges that I'd say the rest of the country and many other countries are facing in terms of retention, recruitment, and then finding ways that we're actually reducing those barriers to entry. Land access, access to capital and credit for young and beginning farmers and ranchers remain huge hurdles. That is true for new entry or first-generation producers, as well as young people looking to inherit or take over a family operation different challenges and different barriers, but both have their hurdles, to be sure. So what we're thinking about here, for example, on the younger side of things, we need to make sure that young people are actually excited about agriculture. And that's even before they're thinking about maybe even starting a business or getting experience on a farm. So we've launched a STEM program at our labs in Broomfield, and we're actually bringing middle school and high school students out to learn about the science of agriculture so to be an ag, you don't always have to be in the field. If you don't want to be, you could be a researcher, you could be doing food safety tests, for example, you could work in our animal health lab. So we're exposing young people to that. We also have a program actually modeled after one of the Kibera Coalition's excellent programs, the new agrarian program. Ours is called the Agricultural Workforce Development Program, and it's paid apprenticeships for young people to actually get experience on a working farm or ranch or an ag business. And then moving up in sort of the career trajectory from there, we were successful last year in advocating for $76 million in agricultural recovery money from our state legislature. Of that, we have $30 million to develop and create revolving loan fund for both processors and beginning and underserved farmers and ranchers. So we're actually working with First Southwest Bank, who has the capacity to lend statewide here in Colorado. They're going to be issuing highly affordable, highly versatile, low interest loans to beginning and underserved farmers and ranchers who are ready to take that next step and actually start or build a career on a farm or ranch. And then lastly, that succession piece, there are so many challenges, not just through policy and taxation and other questions, but interpersonally too, transitioning a family operation. So my team works with families who are at the outset of succession planning to help them think through what they need to have a successful succession plan for the next generation. So all of that is part of the whole, of course, then we have people coming here from other countries who have lots of agricultural experience. We need to help them find a way into building a life and a career here in agriculture. I think we have so much opportunity with that. We just got to keep thinking creatively.
1: Sarah, I think this is a good opportunity to hear from you about the Qvera Coalition's new agrarian program, because as I understand it, it seeks to address some of those barriers.
2: Sure. So the new agrarian program is now a 11-year-old apprenticeship program. The focus of this apprenticeship program is on large landscape agriculture, which in the West means that we're working with a lot of livestock producers in the program. Not exclusively, we do have other types of operations that we are working with. We have a large organic grain farm in Montana that we partner with, family orchard operation here in New Mexico that we've worked with in the past that also does large landscape restoration using key line design and other techniques But by and large, we are working with folks who are using livestock and raising livestock. The program is an eight-month professional training program for folks who know that they want to enter careers in agriculture. And when we started the program, we were really focused on how do we do this well, rather than how do we crank a bunch of people through the program. And those early years, I think taught us that so much of what happens in an apprenticeship is about having soft skills, the tools to be able to be an educator or be mentored. So a lot of our program focuses on what needs to happen for a young person to get the tools and training that they need to be successful. So what we do is we recruit mentors. So we recruit farmers and ranchers who broadly are engaged in regenerative agriculture folks who have a land ethic and are interested in potentially putting more in than they are getting out to the ecology of the place that they're stewarding. But just because you're a good rancher doesn't mean that you're going to be a good teacher. So spend a lot of time with mentors sort of talking about what do you have to offer and how do you offer it? And then our program works on recruiting for those operations This year, we have 30 operations throughout the West that we're working with. That's really exciting because when we started the program, we had three. (laughs) Last year, I think we graduated 27 apprentices, and we spent a lot of time with our mentors, training them. I think another piece that's important about our program is the fact that we are focused on folks who really are certain that they want to pursue agriculture as a career. There's a growing community of apprenticeship programs in this country. There's an organization called the Field Network that is based out of Tufts University that are really working to normalize and formalize what apprenticeship means in agriculture. And we're trying to figure out best practices in our program that mean that a person entering that program is getting a really quality education, that they're getting paid a fair wage, that they're getting exposed to critical business principles, as well as livestock handling or land stewardship practices, so that they're really equipped to do the job that they want to do. And part of what has been really helpful in that Normalization and formalization of this type of apprenticeship program have been programs like the Ag Workforce Development Program in Colorado. So, one of the barriers that we see mentors having to bringing young people on and mentoring them in our program is just being able to have the financial bandwidth to step into that role as an educator. And also, many of the operations that we work with, even though they are at a large landscape, are financially not set up to have a lot of employees. So when we're talking about workforce development in the ag sector, there are certain types of ag businesses that can employ a lot of folks, but particularly ranching, often they're stewarding 40 or 100,000 acres, but have very few employees. So bringing somebody on in that capacity to train them, there may need to be additional financial support there. So programs like the Ag Workforce Development Program that can offset the cost of bringing a young person on are extremely important in making that point of entry for young people into those careers possible. Historically, the way that young people have entered agriculture is through a family farmer ranch. But for folks who did not grow up on a farmer ranch, there's not really good avenues to go learn the hands-on aspects of that type of work.
1: What I always think about the West, but also Colorado in particular, is just that incredible diversity of agricultural products that are produced in the state from the Eastern Plains through the Rocky Mountains and then over to the Western Slope. So, Kate, I would love to hear from you if, within those subregions or within particular sectors of the ag economy, if there are any particular workforce demands or needs that policymakers should be aware of.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And before I go there, I want to touch on some things that Sarah mentioned. I mentioned earlier that we built our Ag Workforce Development Program after NAP, after the new agrarian program. But NAP goes so much farther into education, both for apprentices and mentors. And so our partnership and ability to work with Kavira and the Kavira mentors throughout Colorado is really important for our program to be able to grow and expand And watching the NAP program grow from the first few mentors, actually one of whom is a founding member who serves on my board, who's a Governor Polis appointee to the Ag Commission, George Witten, and his wife, Julie Sullivan, have been instrumental to developing this program. They're ranchers in the San Luis Valley and have put so much time. I forget the number of apprentices that have come through their ranch, but it's dozens. And the vast majority are still in agriculture. And that's a testament to the time they've taken out of the day-to-day work of, you know, fixing fence and moving cattle and all the rest, to actually sit down and go through the books with young people who are curious and interested and who actually get the benefit of seasoned professionals like George and Julie to see the ranch world through their eyes. Back to your question, Kevin, on the diversity of ag here in Colorado and do different sectors have different workforce needs? I'd say the answer is yes. Our geography here is the driver in a lot of ways, as well as our climate, of the different crops and livestock that we grow and raise here in Colorado. So our Eastern Plains, it's the Plains, right? And you don't have to worry about the Rockies getting in your way to grow food. So that's where a lot of our large-scale production, we have some of the highest producing counties, not just in the state, but in the country, in Northeast Colorado. Corn, wheat, cattle, of course, are big ones for us, but we also have cantaloupe and melons down in Rocky Ford. If you go across the San Luis Valley, big potato growing region. We're also growing quinoa and hemp down there. Southwest corner of the state, very dry, arid part of Colorado, but also a lot of diversity there from cattle that range in the high country to the market growers who sell at our farmer's market. Then, of course, up the Western Slope, again, cattle you have everywhere in the state of Colorado, but you also have wine country out there mixed with cattle country. I didn't mention dairy, but dairy is one of our leading industries. That's year-round constant production, right? It's a very different workforce than a lot of our seasonal crops where you need a big team for a smaller portion of time to make sure you're getting harvest done before that first frost hits. So we do see those needs vary across the state at different times of years and in different sectors. I would say what all those sectors have in common is right now, the labor shortage that we're seeing, that is real regardless of what sector you're in, and this question of the next generation and what we're going to do to, again, reduce those barriers for young people and make sure that we have many points of entry for young people to get involved in agriculture.
1: One priority that Western governors have is trying to develop precision agriculture section writ large, just because of the kind of outstanding potential with conservation, but also increased food production that lies there. And I think with the development of that sector, there's opportunity to get youth engaged in agriculture because of that tech hook. So I would love to hear a little bit more about that line of thinking in Colorado. And if you see that as an opportunity to get more youth into agriculture, and like you were saying earlier, maybe not working in the fields necessarily, but still working in the sector at large.
3: Well, absolutely. I think technology and innovation are essential. And when you pair that with biology and natural resource stewardship, In my mind, you can't have the former without the latter, right? Like as we grow our technology, we have to remember that this is a art and a science rooted in the natural world. Governor Polis, my boss and our governor here in Colorado, is the vice chair of WGA, and I think it's important for our Western states to know the leadership that Governor Polis has brought to the Department of Ag here in Colorado for the vision of the future. The one thing he often references is that agriculture in Colorado is essential to our past it's helped build who we are today but it's also essential to who we are going to become as a state in the future so as an agency we have three big goals we have a lot of work that we do outside of these goals but when it comes to where can we help move the needle we, we're thinking in three big categories the first one is economic and supply chain resilience how can we help diversify markets create more infrastructure that allows for that diversification bring in new and innovative partners to help us bring more of that food dollar back to the producer. Because without the producer, none of this works. So how can we help build more economic resilience at the production end and industry-wide? The second one is voluntary stewardship. And we really think about this in terms of soil, water, and climate stewardship. How can we help get producers and partners in ag the tools they need to advance stewardship in the way that works for their operation? So for example, Our soil health program, another thing that Sarah and I have worked on very closely, both here in New Mexico, both in my tenure as commissioner and before, is creating in both states, actually, soil health programs that give producers resources and those tools, whether it be technical assistance, grants, research, companionship in new endeavors in the ag community, absorbing some of that social risk that farmers inevitably face when they try something new. All of that is part of this thinking about how can we show the world that ag is essential to conservation and ag is essential to our climate response. So think whether it's mitigation or resilience or adaptation, we are at the leading edge of that work. We need to be because we grow and raise food, but we also have a vast potential to do that work. That's going to take that combination of technology, innovation, and being in very close touch with the natural world, which our farmers and ranchers are. And then thirdly, our other big goal, we've touched on this a lot, is supporting the next generation. Again, how can we help young people get in? So if a young person is first and foremost interested in technology, we want them to think about agriculture as a place to apply that technology. We also then want them to be a part of our soil health program and learn about all the incredible biodiversity underneath the soil that we can help foster and regenerate through our farming and ranching practices and how we blend the work of agriculture and conservation for both bottom line needs. And that's what we're actually seeing through our soil health program is a lot of producers are seeing an increase on on the bottom line when it's all said and done. They're also seeing a net on the co-benefits on the ecosystem services side. And that's really what we wanna help push forward. It's not an either or. So how do we make this a both and conversation? Technology is a part of that. Innovation is a part of that. We're actually looking at developing an ag tech accelerator here. We want companies to see Colorado as the place that they should land and headquarter to help develop these new technologies that will help drive production in a way that also fosters excellent stewardship along with climate mitigation and response.
1: Thanks, Kate. That ag tech accelerator is a really uh, fascinating and exciting idea. Sarah, I'm going to come back to you for this next question. I just want to hear a little bit about how some of your partners were affected by the COVID-19 pandemic in terms of their operations or changes that you saw in the ag workforce writ large. And if you think that there are really like any lessons learned from that period of challenge for the agricultural sector, and if there's anything that we as a country need to think about trying to carry forward in terms of making sure that those mistakes aren't repeated or trying to transfer some of the things we figured out in a more permanent context.
2: You know, I think that the places where the folks that we partner with were affected broadly are supply chains, which, you know, is not a space that organizationally we're working in, but this is what we we saw. And one of the things I didn't mention at the beginning of the interview is that in addition to directing the Kibera Coalition, I live and work sometimes on Polk's Folly Farm, which is a diversified livestock operation in New Mexico. And working primarily with ranchers, meat supply chains were extremely affected during the pandemic when meat processing plants were shut down because there were not safe working conditions there and workers were getting sick in really disproportionately high numbers. Ranchers everywhere felt the impacts Of that. And consumers felt the impacts of that. And I think that there is a set of ideas that Kiberia has long championed around building resilience, not only in land stewardship, but in our food systems also, that really was laid bare during the pandemic. So watching those supply chains break down and their fragility, I think really brought home the need for more regionalized food systems. And particularly when it comes to meat production, having more processing capacity at a small and medium scale, particularly here in the West, in New Mexico, we have at any given time, like five processing plants that producers can access. So I think that that's a way that folks were impacted. And just thinking about sort of the broader discussion today around ag workforce, one thing I'm very excited about here in New Mexico is that we are working on developing meat cutter programs at some of our community colleges and connecting those to our meat processing facilities because the issues of succession go beyond just the farm or the ranch. The processing plants have a really hard time finding skilled meat cutters, and that's a, a dying trade also. So that's a space that I've spent a lot of time thinking about and advocating in in the last two years. And, you know, I think that while the last two years have been challenging, I think it also sort of forced us to think creatively and learn to be more nimble and I think really ignited a desire to be creative about how we come up with solutions and what i see happening on the ground here is our folks experimenting with developing new markets you know you've seen producers take their products online figure out new value adds for their products all sorts of things that i think are moving us in the right direction i think we still have a long way to go but i'm excited by the number of new businesses, or new enterprises that existing farmers and ranchers have endeavored to take on as a result of the pandemic.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. That meatpacking capacity and licensing issue is one that WGA has started to learn more about, and hopefully we can use the 2023 Farm Bill as a means to get at that issue a little bit. Kate, I also want to get your perspective on this question of lessons learned from the pandemic, and as we do start to look to the Farm Bill, what is the state of Colorado thinking about in this space?
3: What we saw in the pandemic was an incredible co-response through all levels of government and private sector together. One thing we did at the very outset of COVID, actually in March 2020, the Department of Agriculture was setting up my emergency response subcommittees essentially, who's going to be at our emergency operations center and who's going to be on supply chain issues. We also had a recovery team that was thinking, okay, who knows what is going to happen or how long this is going to go on, but at some point we're going to have to recover from this and what will recovery require. So that led us to a year later successfully getting the 76 million I mentioned earlier from our state legislature, but also having relationships on the philanthropic side. We actually established a working group early on, public-private partnership, even before the CARES Act really was a thing, that committee was thinking through, okay, what are the needs in our community and how do we leverage our shared resources and our shared skill sets to get what is needed out to the people and businesses who need it? So we were able to actually dispatch very quickly philanthropic dollars to help producers within the first few months of COVID That grew. When CARES Act was passed, we used that same model and platform to figure out how should we distribute this money and what is the best use, the greatest need, and where can we leverage these dollars to. So if we need a match, we're talking to folks who can put a match in for a much bigger grant. We're working in the same model now with the USDA's $1 billion climate proposal. With the billion dollars for processing, as well as for a local food LFPA grant that we're working on with human services. All of that is cross-agency and it's collaboration at the state, local, federal level, and instances consultation with our tribes as well, which is just as important for all this work. So I think in, in terms of the farm bill, you know, of course we have our farm bill titles that we're all used to, but where can we look at crossing over into other programs or other titles that will leverage that collaborative? potential. We've seen it work. It just will not happen unless we're conscious about making it happen. If we had done COVID response in a vacuum and I said, thanks so much, everybody, but CDA is just going to go at this alone because that's how we were built, (laughs) we we would not have been successful. The same if if Governor Polis said, thanks, everybody, you know, we're just going to do this on our own. No, he said, figure out what needs to happen, figure out who you need to work with, public, private, state, local, federal. Our relationships with our counties here in Colorado is huge. When it comes to water, you know, we have our basin roundtables here in Colorado. We rely on them for that ground-up grassroots decision-making on what is most important in terms of water conservation or water projects in their home basin. So that's less on the policy side, uh, but how do we do the next farm Bill? I hope we are thinking outside the box. We're thinking cross-jurisdictional. We're thinking collaborative, synergistic. It's not just, oh, well, that's conservation title. We can't do marketing work on climate because that's not conservation. Well, in Colorado's way of thinking, that is conservation. We're bringing in market partners to pay our producers who are willing to try new things to advance climate stewardship. Government doesn't have to be the ones holding them up to do that. We can help absorb some of the risk, but there's market demand for it. So let's bring in those partnerships and look at how farm bill policy can help foster through those cross-divisional solutions.
1: Coming off the back of the COVID pandemic now is a, an opportunity to look fresh at. Uh, the role of federal government in supporting the ag sector across the country. And to that end, I do want to hone in on the the workforce piece at the end here as we get ready to go. But just want to get both of your thoughts on any suggestions or thoughts you have for Western states or governors just on opportunities to to ramp up some of these workforce pipelines in the West, whether that's partnering with universities or tapping into cooperative extension services or trying to build apprenticeship pipelines like Kivera Coalition has done. So Sarah, maybe we start with you and then we'll go to Kate after that.
2: Sure. Specifically focusing on ag workforce development, I think that in addition to some of the collaborations that you just mentioned, I think community colleges are a really critical one. I mentioned previously we're excited about a meat cutting program at community colleges. I think that the trades are a great place to be looking for opportunities to think creatively about ways that folks can be contributing to the agriculture sector.
3: So I think a message maybe for other states, I mean, we do this all the time. We ask what are other states doing that we want to replicate. So I mentioned our STAR program, our Saving Tomorrow's Ag Resources program, which is really the first iteration of our soil health program. We actually adopted something that a conservation district in Illinois had launched. We took it and made it worked for Colorado, scaled it up. We're building it out with 17 conservation districts right now and over a hundred producers in this pilot phase. And now as we're moving forward to scale it yet more, we're going back to Illinois and saying, hey, you guys were the ones who really first launched this idea. How can we help you scale? And how can we help us as a country grow this concept, assuming it's got legs, which we think it does. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel if other states have solved these problems. I think the workforce question goes back to kind of what I talked about at the very beginning, that people come into agriculture from all sorts of different starting places. They might be working to take over the family ranch, and they're the fifth generation, and it's going to be on them. And they're also raising a family and trying to figure out how to deal with drought and climate change. Really incredibly challenging questions. It might be a refugee family who farmed in their home country and is in a new country and could have so much to contribute to Colorado to the US if they knew how to access resources if they had culturally appropriate and linguistically appropriate resources to gain that access to the people and places that would help them build a business or build a life in agriculture so i think it's thinking about where are people starting from how do we reach them in a way that is meaningful both in language in culture in trust building if that's not always going to come through state government or federal government. We rely on our nonprofit partners and community organizations to do a lot of that work. And I think that's appropriate. I think that means we need to have really strong relationships in communities and recognize that state government isn't always going to be at the tip of the spear. We might be the ones trying to remove those barriers. Again, how could the state help think through land access, and then lean on community organizations like Kabira Coalition to actually work with the individuals looking for that land or ready to build a farm or ranch business. So it's really that partnership, it's thinking about what role are we each best in, leveraging different ideas across states, and then recognizing how critical the agricultural workforce is to our economy, both people who come here seasonally, people who live here, people who are new to this country or to our state, are all part of not just the current ag economy, but the future ag economy that's got to be resilient. It's got to be innovative. It's got to be vibrant. It's got to be rooted in the fundamentals of good natural resource stewardship that also leads to good and bountiful food production in a rapidly changing world.
1: Definitely. And I think it also has a lot of overlapping threads to our current initiative with Idaho Governor Brad Little his Working Lands, Working Communities Initiative, which is looking at all of those intersections of natural resources and land management in the West and how that hooks to rural community prosperity and how those two nodes interact and play off of each other and ultimately support each other. So Kate and Sarah, this has been a really fascinating conversation. I think it's a really exciting time for agriculture in the West, particularly for new and young entrants to to the sector and i think programs like the new agrarian program are filling a really important need in the western economy so with that i just want to thank you for your time and insights today
0: thanks for listening to this episode of out west presented by the western governors association To learn more about our ongoing efforts on workforce development, please visit westgov.org. And be sure to join us next time as we continue to discuss critical issues facing the Western United States. Finally, WGA would like to thank Kate Greenberg and Sarah Wenzel-Fisher for sharing their expertise on the agricultural workforce, as well as the Working Lands, Working Communities Initiative sponsors, Deloitte and Walker Consulting, and the US Department of Agriculture. Happy trails, everyone.